0: And a very good evening to you. Welcome to The Catholic View. I'm Shayla Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we bring you the Church and the UN with Father Mike Dib, OP. But before that, here is Mahadi Boutilezi, ready to bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. So do stay tuned.
1: Radio Veritas, 576 AM, 4 Bringing you your news headlines from Africa and beyond enslaved women deserve peace justice, love, says Pope Francis, European countries prepare for emerging cattle disease and Congolese refugees participation in Olympics huge victory for their community Good evening, I am Mahdi Butelezi Speaking during his Angela's address for the solemnity of the Assumption of Mary on Monday, Pope Francis expressed his hope that women enslaved to the arrogance of the powerful will be allowed to have a life of peace, justice, and love. Charles Collins reports.
2: La pagina evangelica festa dell'Assunzione di Maria al cielo.
3: Addressing pilgrims before reciting the Angelus in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis said, "...the Assumption of Mary is a great mystery that pertains to all of us regarding our future." He said the Canticle of Mary also leads us to think about many actual sad situations, in particular those women overwhelmed by the weight of life and the drama of violence, of women who are slaves to the arrogance of the powerful, the girls forced into inhumane work, the women forced to surrender in both body and spirit to the avarice of men
2: prima per loro di un'inizia vita di pace,
3: di giustizia, di amore. May they, as soon as possible, begin a life of peace, justice, and love. The Pope continued, and we ask the Lord to free them from this slavery. after reciting the Angelus Pope Francis turned his attention to the North Kivu province of the Democratic Republic of Congo the Eastern province has been plagued by violence often spilling over from conflicts in neighboring countries and this weekend another massacre killed at least 40 people vorrei To the Queen of Peace, whom we contemplate today in heavenly glory, I want to entrust once again the anxieties and the sorrows of the people in many parts of the world who are innocent victims of persistent conflicts, Pope Francis said, which have for some time been perpetrated in shameful silence without attracting even as much as our attention. Unfortunately, they are part of the too many innocent people who have no weight on World
2: opinion. The
3: The Holy Father continued by saying, My thoughts go to the people of North Kivu and the Democratic Republic of Congo, who have been recently hit with fresh massacres. May Mary obtain for all people sentiments of compassion and understanding and the desire for peace and harmony.
2: De pace
3: Concordia. I'm Charles Collins.
1: On to African news. Zambia's president Edgar Lungu has been declared the winner of a closely fought presidential election, but the result was immediately challenged by his main opponent, Hakainde Hichilema. The opposition party quickly, however, rejected the result, claiming the Electoral Commission had colluded to rig the vote against its candidate. Lucy Taylor reports.
0: President Edgar Lungu won with 50.35% of votes, just avoiding a second round runoff. He had another five years in power after taking office during a by-election last year. But the opposition leader, Hakim de says he does not accept the outcome and his party will begin a legal challenge. This was already Zambia's most troubled election ever, with clashes throughout the campaign period. Crowds of supporters of the governing party have begun celebrating outside the results tallying centre in Lusaka. But the atmosphere in the days ahead will depend on how opposition supporters react next.
1: In other news, Pope Francis has sent a warm and heartfelt letter to express his sorrow over the loss of life and property in Portugal. Wildfires in the Portuguese holiday island of Madeira reaching the capital, Funchal, have killed at least four people and caused hundreds to evacuate their homes. Devin Watkins reports.
4: The letter addressed to the Bishop of Funchal and signed by the Vatican Secretary of State was read out during the celebration of Holy Mass for Our Lady of the Mount, the Patroness of Funchal. In the message, Pope Francis said he is appalled by the sad news of the terrible fires raging on the island of Madeira, and expressed his condolences and participation in the pain of all those affected. The Holy Father also conveyed solidarity and spiritual closeness for those displaced by the wildfires and prayed for the quick healing of the wounded and courage and consolation in Christian hope for all involved. In conclusion, Pope Francis expressed his gratitude for the more than 2,000 firefighters battling the flames which have killed five people, four on the Portuguese island of Madeira and one in neighboring Spain. I'm Devin Watkins.
1: European countries are preparing to battle an emerging cattle disease with the help of the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA. Over 30 experts will be trained at the UN agency's laboratories on how to use nuclear-derived techniques which can detect the virus within three hours and help trace its origin and spread. Jocelyn Sambira has more. Lumpy skin disease is a highly infectious cowpox virus that is spreading through herds on the European continent. The virus is transmitted through direct contact with infected animals and contaminated products, as well as through flies and ticks. The disease does not pose a danger to humans, but can spread between animals and farms, causing severe economic losses. With a cattle herd of around 87 million heads, the European Union would be severely affected by widespread outbreaks of the disease. Traditionally common to Africa and Asia, lumpy skin disease emerged in Turkey in 2013 and has since spread rapidly through southeastern Europe. It has been detected to date in six European countries, namely Greece, Bulgaria, Macedonia, Serbia, Albania and Montenegro. New cases are being reported weekly, the IAEA confirmed. And finally, the participation of Congolese refugees in the Olympics is a huge victory, according to members of the community. Congolese Jurokas Yolande Mabige and Popole Masenga competed on August the 10th and were watched by members of the Congolese community who cried and celebrated as Yolande lost and Popole won for his first round. For the first time ever, 10 refugee athletes from four countries were given a chance to compete on the refugee Olympic team in Rio de Janeiro. Digging it, Perez has more.
5: were coming down the cheeks of the members of the Congolese community as they watched their fellow refugees compete on TV. They gathered around big screen to see Yolande Mabike and Popol Mizenga compete in the Olympic Games. Among the supporters was Mireille Muluile, a Congolese refugee living in Brazil.
1: I support them. All my brothers and sisters around me support them. When
5: I say my brothers and sisters, I don't mean just the Congolese but all the refugees, everybody stand by them. Both Yolan and Popol competed in judo. Yolan competed first and lost to her Israeli opponent, Linda Boulder. Then came Popol Mizenga. Popol won his round and became the first refugee athlete to win a competition in the Olympics. He then went through to the elimination round and lost to Korean Gwag Don Han. But for his supporters, like Charlie Congo, a Congolese refugee, the athlete won anyway.
6: The fact that they lost doesn't mean anything to us. The fact that they participated is a big, big victory for them and for all the Congolese refugees and all the refugees around the world.
5: After all, this was about so much more than just the medal. For Charlie Congo, the athletes' participation in the game was more important than their elimination. We
6: are very happy. We are on a high. It's a huge victory for us to be represented like this, to be recognized as human beings, as athletes, like everyone else. We are capable to be athletes, doctors, journalists. We are like everybody else, to send a message that a refugee is like anybody
2: else.
5: In one day, Yolande and Popo have left a mark in history, but also in the hearts of the community members.
1: And these have been your news from Africa and beyond. Have yourselves a very good evening.
0: And that was a quick look at some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. My thanks goes there to Mahadi Butelezi. You are still listening to The Catholic View and I'm Shayla Pirsch. Coming up next, we bring our feature, the Catholic Church and the UN with Father Mike Deep, OP. <music> Welcome back to our feature, The Church and the UN, with Father Mike Deeb OP. Father Mike Deeb is the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's General Promoter of Justice and Peace. In today's interview with Father Mike Deeb OP, we look at elections in Africa. We also look at freedom of speech, as well as South Africa's government's role at the United Nations.
6: This year has been a very Difficult year at many levels because, uh, with the rise of all these so called terrorist attacks, um, that's been something that's preoccupied the whole UN. And I think, uh, in this context, the church has been trying to uh, make some sort of interventions to to, uh, to, to try and encourage people to address some of the root causes of the problems and to. To work towards uh, global equality and things like that. Unfortunately, in the UN context, uh, there are things that are becoming a lot more polarized. So you find very acrimonious discussions happening around Russia and Ukraine, around several other key places around the globe. And um, in many ways, I think we're living through a very difficult moment at the level of the UN in the world very precarious, and I think mean, in this context, the church is obviously very concerned, and Pope Francis was very concerned to um, talk about the importance of um, working for peace and to avoid the, the, the war rhetoric that seems to be running around. Because in the face of, the, of the, the, all the attacks, and especially now with the migration questions, Emotions are running very high, especially in the developed world, in Europe and the U.S., etc. And uh, there's a strong tendency towards closing in on themselves and on developing an attitude which is very um, opposed to migration, for example. And um, and this is resulting in a lot of political upheaval, as we as we've seen in Europe and even in the U.S. at the moment. So I think in this context, the church has been trying to um, you know, speak on behalf of the migrants especially. There's been a lot of discussion around that and to insist that they need to be seen as people, each one with a story. That's not just a question of people coming to invade and take over and reduce uh, it, to take over their culture, et cetera. So that becomes a very... Uh, a difficult issue that the church is trying to address. But in this context, um, there are many particular points coming up that we we as Dominicans especially are trying to address, and um, we over the last few months have, have tried, for example, to, to tackle some of the, the places where wars are taking place or where serious conflicts are, are existing. The one that we focus a lot on is the issue of Burundi, where the situation is still very tense and in many ways becoming um, hopeless in the minds of many people because the, uh, the president of Kurundisa has shown no openness really to bend in renew uh, renewing his presidency, which was the source of all the conflict there. There remain many human rights violations, people still disappearing, um, quiet killings. Things seem a bit calm on the face of it, but those but, uh, things are still happening. And we have been engaging, you know, by organizing several inside events and making declarations, urging a more inclusive approach and for all the opposition parties to be brought into discussion and dialogue enable there to be a political solution. But there doesn't seem to be too much progress on that front, unfortunately. So that remains a big point of engagement for ourselves. And also in the the Democratic Republic of Congo, a similar situation is evolving now where we find uh, that the president was supposed to call new election by the end of the year, but nothing has been done to even convoke those elections, so people are imagining that he's just going to continue and uh, delay things until he can change the constitution to enable himself to stay on in power. So there's a lot of upheaval there around uh, the question of elections, and in the meantime in the east of the country there's these armed groups are still running rampant, and just not so long ago there were massacres taking place in Beni, And, of course, there are these uh, different vigilante groups, each of which is trying to safeguard their own uh, interests with the resources there. So that remains a big issue of concern, and we, in the process of wanting to organize some sort of event in September around that as well.
0: But, you know, there's all these things going on in Africa. Lots of countries that are going into elections this year. And some countries extending the terms. You see presidents extending their terms for more than two, others more than four. Are these things being debated in the UN? And if so, has there been any sort of resolutions or is just a mere debate that seems to be going on and on? Well,
6: there's a lot discussed around this, I mean even the whole Burundi issue is centered around this sort of question um, but it's difficult to address it directly because um, in fact there's, uh, amongst the African states they've almost came to agreement that they're not going to criticize any of their own so when when it comes to the issue of Burundi and, and there's a discussion around it, none of the African states say a word in the UN because a, uh, they, they almost uh, are seen as us against the world. And the problem is that there are so many, uh, as you mentioned, so many states which are governed by these dictators who just prolong their their, their life till death. And um, they, so what's going on in Burundi is not that different from what they have already done, for example. That's why they would resist this sort of discourse, they would listen to it, but they wouldn't say a word, and they will just continue with business as usual. So it becomes part of the whole polarization that I was talking about, you know, us and them and the regional interests and people feeling that we are being attacked by our former colonial powers, we've got to resist it. And that's the discourse that all these countries um, introduce to justify their, um, what I would as undemocratic practices. So I think it raises a big question about the nature of democracy. It raises a big question about how you know, democracy has developed in all these African countries where people associate elections with uh, violence and war more and more in many countries. That, uh, fortunately, fortunately is not the case in South Africa and in Zambia, but... Uh, Certainly in uh, the north of southern Africa, uh, the elections are normally a recipe for violence. So it raises a big question about how to develop a real form of democracy where the the views of the people really are taken into account, where um, uh, we get beyond ethnic or tribal thinking, where we can really get people to be um, developing a, a, toler- a tolerance for, for losing an election, which is uh, often totally absent. So there's so much work that has to happen at, uh, at many levels, especially in the, the poor developing countries, but even in the, the rich developed countries. I mean, you can see what's been going on in the U.S., for example. Where it's not a rational issues that are governing this. Uh, election at all it's just cut uh, issues which are related to uh, maybe it's not uh, ethnicity but it's, it can be related to um, uh, like party it's almost like a party affiliation or it's almost like a, a economic affiliation etc. And, and people become blinded by the sorts of things that uh, leaders are, are talking about and um, And when you see the level of the political discourse in the U.S., it's horrifying to think about where that country's going to go, where they're going to take the world of it. So we have a big challenge of democracy everywhere, and for us to be able to address this um, is not going to be an easy task. So uh, we have to find ways to get people from the ground up to be um, promoting forms of democracy so that. People are empowered at a local level more and more. And hopefully the more we do that, the more people will begin to see the possibility of, of developing a real democracy that is not tied only to ethnic or tribal interests um, becoming a reality. But I think we are far away from that. So A lot of this is touching questions like um, the role of big multinational corporations, the impunity in going into places. And then, of course, uh, another thing that we focused on in last September was at the digital level, the issue of encryption. Um, You know, we were trying to uh, safeguard the, the right to free internet expression and for people to have the freedom to privacy in their communications. And in all the with all the media now, now more and more governments are, because of the fear of terrorism, they they are in some ways totally bypassing the freedom of expression. They, they are scrutinising and surveying. There's a lot of surveillance around a lot of the internet um, uh, communications, and so people's privacy has been virtually uh, disappearing. So we organised an event. Uh, on the importance of encryption or the, the ability to, to safeguard uh, private communication. Um, but that, that, that's a difficult one now because with all these attacks that are happening, governments are trying kind to of justify more and more the fact that uh, they have to fill, uh, have a surveillance of what people are doing at a local level. So even at the very small percentage of any communications where this would happen, all of us end up being surveyed, so there's very little that we do now, which, which we can assume that there's some privacy for us. So that remains a big challenge to clarify how to address that issue without denying uh, uh, people freedom of expression, and that includes you and me, in fact. Please, we must uh, help people in Africa to understand also what the African government is doing in the u.n context they often take very positive positions but but often the positions are very dubious you know for example just in the last session they voted against uh, a resolution uh, to uh, protect human rights defenders (laughs) and uh, this was totally unacceptable and i think that uh, for a country like ours we need to be aware of what our government doing in that context and to be calling them to account for it so that the positive things we do we don't uh, get uh, totally um, countered by many of these new interests that are, are developing, even from South Africa, and that would uh, go against the core values that we espouse in our constitution and the freedom that we have won, we fought for and won. So I hope that uh, South Africans will become more and more aware of, of what's going on in the UN what the role of South Africa is playing there. The fact that, whereas South Africa held a high moral ground soon after '94, but unfortunately now more and more people are doubting the role of South Africa is playing there. So we need to be strengthening South Africa's position by holding our government to account for the things that they are doing in the UN context. So I would urge more and more people to keep an eye on that and to see its relationship to the current political evolution in South Africa as well.
0: Any other important uh, topics that the Catholic Church touched on or the Dominican Order?
6: Well, some of the big issues that um, are being focused on are uh, indigenous people. There's a big focus on the rights of indigenous people and the Church has been very much uh, trying to them, Although it's interesting that in the United States at the moment, especially those who are fighting for the rights of, of indigenous people, are saying that there was a doc, there was a, a so-called doctrine of discovery that uh, and uh, which was um, even supported by the church several centuries ago. There was a papal bull almost acknowledging the right for uh, people to go and and. Uh, um, engage with and uh, even govern indigenous people. People are saying now that the church really needs to repeal this papal rule that um, that uh, has resulted in the devastation of indigenous people in so many places. But the church has been a little bit reluctant to do this. I said, well, you know, we've already said contrary things to show we support now of the struggles of indigenous people. But many people are saying, yeah, but. That, that history remains and we've got to we've got to do something about it. So that's one issue at the moment on the table and it's been something that people in the US and New Zealand interestingly are pushing for. But we but the the question of indigenous people is a is a is a big issue because often now they are seen to be minorities. Wherever they you know the colonialists have come in and with all the mass migration, the indigenous people have been reduced to small minority groups um, in, all, in many parts of the world, except perhaps in Africa. In Africa, the african always say, well, you know, all of us are indigenous. So, the issue of indigenous people is not that relevant for us. One could argue about that, but anyway, the, the biggest challenge is in Latin America and in some places like the Philippines and even in North America, where the indigenous groups have been very marginalized. So that's, it's a big challenge and we are engaging ourselves as Dominicans in that issue quite uh, significantly. Just another thing that is useful is to talk about is the arms trade treaty. Uh, this was a big, uh, seemed to be a big uh, form of progress just uh, two years ago when arms trade treaty was eventually signed after decades of work to limit or regulate uh, arms trade around the world. So, given that it was a big advance, there are big struggles to, to get it operational. Um, there's going to be a meeting in just a, a couple of weeks in Geneva um, of all the signatories to this arms trade to try and get it operational. So, we are hoping to promote that because certainly we see that the arms trade is one of the biggest causes of so many of the problems we have. It's the biggest industry in the world. And, uh, and, it's, and people are 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 using that trade to fuel wars everywhere um, and uh, so thats that 's another big issue and maybe just some last points. we are um, focused in um, uh, the big issues around uh, the family. Um, and uh, the, the UN gets very polarised whenever the discussion about the family comes because you find uh, there are some groups who are trying to protect or call it for the protection of the family. Um, and that is mostly centred around the issue about um, marriage between a man and a woman, etc. And there are other groups that are... Saying, look, we've got to be promoting same-sex marriages, and we've got to get it beyond, uh, beyond the discrimination, especially around the homosexuals, etc. And of course, that's a very delicate and difficult topic, and there's no agreement on it. And you find often the the biggest proponents of trying to challenge or challenge this idea of or promote the idea of protection of the family are be very conservative uh, Islamic states who are one to just retain family values, they call them, but uh, we know that that means strong patriarchal values, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the church often is in alliance with with them. But it becomes a very, I would say, unconstructive debate. Uh, So we ourselves are just trying to promote some sort of dialogue in this question. To avoid becoming part partisan in the in the in the polarisation that's taking place. And then maybe just uh, two last points is that uh, we also have a presence in Vienna, um, a very small presence at this point. But the big issues in Vienna are revolving around criminal justice and uh, crime and human you know, trafficking and and drugs. And our particular focus is going to be on prison reform and um, dealing and, uh, with the corruption question. As you know, it's a, it's a major issue everywhere. So if, uh, you know, people are trying to address that, but how to address that in the context of the world as is today is a big challenge. And the final point is we also try and develop our presence in Nairobi, where you have the UN environmental program um, uh, established and based and um, they're in the process of developing a new well, that's a new form of the environmental assembly which will be structured quite similarly to the Human Rights Council in Geneva to enable more civil society participation so we're looking forward to that but it's because the environmental issue has become so paramount for, for us globally as you saw after the Paris Agreement last December the climate change um, the need the, the pressure that have to be put in place to try and uh, reduce uh, the speed of climate change and all the consequences that's having. so the environmental questions have grown more and more and especially after Pope Francis' encyclical of Laudato Sea si, something that uh, is important, we have to grow in a consciousness that the whole of creation is our responsibility and it's our home. And uh, to develop that consciousness, which is not just focused on people but on the whole of creation, uh, is a vital priority now. And that's slowly growing in the UN context, but it's still got a long way to go. So um, we need to be engaging with that and we need to be um, uh, also promoting fundamental human uh, human rights at a, at a, at a base level, promote, you know, protecting human rights offenders, eliminating all forms of discrimination and to go beyond the, the classical uh, political blocks where people, uh, they don't vote on the basis of principle or they don't support it on the basis of principle, they support it more from basis of who is my friend and who do I want to be my friend. And that's the dynamic that unfortunately is growing in the world of the regionalism that, that, that we have entrenched. And we've got to find a way to break through that so that we um, become serious about really removing um, all forms of discrimination and removing the root causes of the wars and conflicts.
0: And I'd like to thank Father Mike Deeb OP, the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's general promoter of justice and peace. In our next interview with Father Mike Deeb OP, we'll be looking at the refugee migrant situation in Europe. And that brings me up to time. This has been your Tuesday's edition of Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that Catholic View is a program produced and presented by Sheila Pierce for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pierce. <laughs>